Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, global health systems have been challenged like never before. As time and resources were directed towards responding to the virus, it was the dedication of healthcare workers that kept services running. Amongst the uncertainty, our hardworking Queensland clinicians have continued their pursuit of excellence, innovating and adapting the way they work to ensure consumers always receive the best care possible. To them, the pandemic was an opportunity to learn and grow and to ensure healthcare delivery continues to evolve to the ever-changing landscape. Because if we've learned anything from the last two years, it is that things will always change and our clinicians will always rise to the occasion. The sheer size and distribution of our population will always remain a challenge for the Queensland healthcare system. But with dedication, creative thinking and the integration of new technologies, our clinicians remain at the top of their game and guarantee equitable healthcare, regardless of whether you're in the outback or on the doorstep of our biggest metro hospitals. Hello, everyone. Thank you for sticking around for our chat. I think it's been interesting today, hasn't it, that, you know, we've heard telehealth mentioned in every single presentation. And then it occurred to me, well, of course, it is the overcoming the tyranny of distance session. But, but having said that, I mean, yesterday as well, that I heard telehealth come up so much. But, you know, one of the things that I guess our role as a statewide team in telehealth has been is, you know, we've seen a, a rapid increase in its use as a result of COVID. But I, I think it's important that we take a step back and, and circle back to identifying what are exemplar models that we can scale up. Because, you know, something done in a hurry is not necessarily sustainable. So we saw our role in that context to, to take a step back and start looking at, well, who, who's doing telehealth really well and how do we replicate that to, to really support clinicians who are quite new to it and have taken it up since, since COVID hit. So what, what role do we play in that space? And John recently extended an invitation to us to come over and have a look at, at the service happening between PA Hospital and, and Northwest in, in the orthopaedic space. And I wonder, John, if you would like to tell us a little about that service and, and how it got started and who's involved. Yes, thanks, Matt. And thanks, Damien. You know, expert, drip under pressure, is that right? Thanks. <laughs> so we're just going to put some uh, pics on the background here to help you understand perhaps the gravity of the Northwest. We all say HHS, don't we? Who's ever been to the Northwest HHS? Well done. How many is that, Matt? Oh, that's a few. That's a few. Very good. Thank you. I was approached about 14 years ago by a young man at the Health Quality and Complaints Commission. Anybody remember HQCC? There's a few IES. That's fair. Paolo Lepena was his name. He was an RN going to be the quality coordinator at Mount Isa and the Northwest, which uh, seemed a long way away to me. But uh, he said, look, you know, orthopaedics isn't working so well up there, I've heard. How about we do something? So with Paolo's laptop in outpatients on the desk, in Mount Isa, and me with a stolen ophthalmology telehealth four-wheeled unit, and a radiographer sitting beside a PAX machine in the orthopaedic department, we started seeing patients. 
And despite the few little IT hiccups, you know, not in the right plug on the, uh, on the wall or, uh, no, that one's not connected to the main unit. I think we saw six or eight people in the first day and it was quite exciting. Um, I don't think FaceTime had been invented then. Maybe. No, no, I think that's a bit more recent. So well, this was quite amazing and it built up very quickly and, uh, you know, four or five years later, my colleague Greg Nutting came on board and so we now see about 40 patients a week in two clinics Tuesday and Friday mornings. Yeah, I mean, that's really quite, quite great numbers um, uh, considering, you know, how small the service was when it started and uh, clearly so valuable. And um, look, something that really impressed us when, when we were watching uh, this service in action was how confident and comfortable the clinical team at, uh, at the northwest end, the recipient end, as we call it in telehealth, uh, how comfortable and confident they were with both the concept but also just using the technology. So, John, I wonder, could you tell us a little about how, how that came about? Did, did it require a lot of training? Um, what, what are the ingredients that led to that? And I should say, John, too, it looks like we've had some tech issues and our lovely video isn't playing at the moment. Oh, I'm but sorry. Uh, hopefully they'll, they'll get it sorted. See what they can do. Uh, there we go. Look, as I spoke. Thank you. Uh, permission with all these uh, patients, uh, parents, uh, uh, HHS workers as well, but enjoy the, the demonstration of how enormous Northwest HHS really is. And that's something that I never realised. 360,000 square kilometres. And on one of my uh, PowerPoints, I put Metro South sliding into Northwest. Unbelievable. Do it sometime. Uh, sorry, back to the question. Um, well, it was a learning curve for us. You see, I have three rules in orthopaedics. They all start with T. Touch the patient. No, no, no. What do you do first? Talk to the patient. Most important, you know, there's some great data on interrupting doctors. Orthopods are the worst. How many seconds before the orthopod interrupts? Publish data. Look for it. <laughs> 11 seconds. <laughs> so talk to the patient, but listen as well. Touch the patient. I can't do it in telehealth, Matt. What do I do? Maybe get someone else to do it. Maybe get someone else. So the resident up there or the nurse practitioner, if we go out to Dumaji, Dajara, Normant and Burktown, what's the third thing we need to do in any consultation? Talk to the patient, touch the patient, and most important part of it, think about the patient. Well, isn't that important? Don't you want your doctor to think about your diabetic yeah, I think so. So the three T's is what we started off with. And we thought, well, just let's keep it working that way. I can't touch the patient, but I can do some little tricks by asking, you know, the six-year-old at Doomagy like last Friday. And you'll probably see some of the ways I tricked them into doing little exercises. You know, Matt, give me a high five. <laughs> no, harder, Matt. No, much harder, you see, and the kids will take this up very quickly. But if they don't do it with the one that's come out of plaster and do it with the other hand, we do get a message, don't we? 
And some of them have to be encouraged to start a discussion, but, you know, my, my grandchildren are very happy with devices, and many of these children are very happy with devices as well. But again, then we have to get to First Nations people as well and perhaps change our tack a little bit as we try to do the talk, touch and think process. So we just tried to learn more about that as we went on, Matt, and... Um, I mean, great encouragement to see this four-year-old do high-fives with his mum. Nurse practitioner in the room, all documented. Radiographer beside me so she can pull up the x-rays so mum can see the x-rays. Offered to mum to take a, a, a picture of the x-rays so that she owns those x-rays. She'll see them, you'll see them, some of them, on the, uh, uh, on the screen in a moment. But... Lots of little things that we learned slowly but surely as we realised that uh, this was going to work. Fantastic. And look, I, I guess while you were talking about that, I, I, I came up with another T that probably answered the question as well. I, I wonder if anyone else has thought about that. Trust. And I imagine that is integral in every step in all of those various... Um, situations that you just described. Yeah, it's very important, incredibly important. Can I tell a story? Of course. It's, um, I remember seeing a young man, maybe mid-twenties, came in with his wife and a couple little ones, and he said, uh, looked like he had a, sh a short leg cast on, you know, leg down, crutches beside him, very swollen toes that I could see, and I I remember saying to him, um, uh, yeah, here's the x-rays, looks not too bad, what's the plan? Oh, it happened at work and I've got to go and see someone in Brisbane today. So here we have mid-twenties, male, swollen foot, Mount Isa, going to Brisbane today. Okay. Um, ten minutes to get to the airport. How long does he wait at the airport? Thanks. How long in the plane? How long to get to his consultation in Brisbane? Yeah. How long to see the doctor in Brisbane? <laughs> how long to get back to the airport? Okay. Um, how long to fly back again? How long to get home? How's his foot looking? Did I ask any more questions about this gentleman? Well, it was a workplace injury, so I had to have a consultation by an independent medical examiner in Brisbane. I asked, was he a smoker? They never get DVTs, Matt, do they? No, not that I've heard of. No, no, good, right. And I could see his wife grimacing as I'm thinking about this. And I said, look, I don't think you should go to... This is, this is crazy. You should be resting and elevating there. Excuse my... Dirty shoe. And, and, and just waiting, and then we'll give you some aspirin to try and reduce this, and maybe stop smoking would be a good idea as well. Well, he was a bit angry, you see. It was all organised. But with a quick GP phone call, a quick specialist in Brisbane phone call, both agreed that it was a silly idea. And his wife smiled, thinking, oh, sanity, sanity, sanity. And although he may not have been the happiest patient that day, he didn't get a DVT and we saw him four weeks later. Now, 
you know, they're silly little things that perhaps we don't think about. But as you're adding up those hours there, what did you come to? Gave up, exactly. He's almost certainly got a PE plus from his DVT. So these are little simple stories where if we take the tech, trust, thinking, talking, touch to the patient, we'll be much better off from the patient's point of view. Absolutely. And look, on that note, uh, I mean, you know, that, that's an obvious value to, to our patients and consumers. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on the value of telehealth to, to our health system and all of the various players in the system? And I think so, a lot of the presentations touched on that today as well, uh, I think, which is tremendously encouraging. You know, a program is maturing and people are beginning to evaluate it and see what is, what is the return to, to us, what is the value of telehealth? Yeah, well, Stephen and Casey, and I've been through a lot of this with thanks, great presentation, thank you for all that work. Uh, you know, working at PA, you've been down to that secure unit so many times and had to put all your hardware in the front desk and all the things that go with it. But taking it to your end is just so much better from the cost-effective point of view. Unbelievably cost-effective, isn't it? And any ideas about RFDS one-way, Mount Isa to Cairns, Mount Isa to Townsville? 12,000 at my last count. Now, safe, sure, yeah. Secure, sure. RN, sometimes medical-based as well. But if we can save one of those trips a week, I won't try and add it up. But the other thing, from a consumer's point of view, and, and our pharmacists talk about the consumers, you know, one mum driving from out of town a couple of hours to get a plaster off a four-year-old, to get an X-ray, and a consultation driven by an orthopod, they are so thankful for the fact that they save so much time, but they still get the specialist looking at their little one. Yeah, that, that's terrific. Um, and look, I, I probably have one more question to keep the conversation going before we, we open up the floor, because I, I know we're the, the, the last barrier between everyone here and lunch, uh, which is not always the best place to be. But look, I guess uh, many years ago, I had to ask myself the question, Pagey, do you want to continue the male modelling career or do you want to do something else? And uh, look, I, I have the best job in the world. What gets me out of bed in the mornings is that every day I get to work with really passionate clinicians right across the state. Uh, and, and I'm so privileged and that is, that is a wonderful thing. Um, but I, I guess we need to look beyond passion and something we've talked about previously is, is you and Greg and all of the team uh, have such passion and drive for this service. But how do we, say, uh, say you and Greg left suddenly, what happens to the service? How do we start to plan for the future with these exemplar gold standard models? That's not an easy question to answer. Um, look, amazing team. Uh, Palo's gone. Palo may be even here today. No, Palo? No. I'm not sure where he is now, but there's a great team at Mount Isa, for instance. Um, 
one of them's just left, would you believe, come to Brisbane. I'm not knocking that opportunity, but it does leave a void because Lisa was a very amazing organiser in a secretarial sense. But we have to trust the RNs, the secretarial sense, the people that come in, the junior residents who are also learning there. So the team at the other end is brilliant, okay? Thanks, Sean, for coming. Um, I didn't see... No, I better not. Uh, but thanks. Sean's really helped us down at Telehealth in Brisbane. We, we, we forgot that little four-wheeler thing after a couple of years and moved into this brilliant space. And if you want to come and look at the brilliant space, uh, it is really very, very effective. But the other thing that I haven't really understood well at the beginning was that we are teaching all the time. So the radiographer that sits with me can find the x-rays far, far quicker and better than I can. You know? Casey's a million times better at finding all that data on EMR than I am. But, but we're teaching uh, radio radiology trainees come and look. New residents come and look. Somebody's rung me this morning and say, can I come and look? RNs come and look. PhD researchers come and look. And we've published numerous times on the effectiveness of this economic and otherwise. Um, but the problem is if Greg and I drop off the uh, <coughs> perch, as it were, it's very hard to find where the next generation will be. So in orthopaedics, we're breeding subspecialties very quickly. And we're not breeding generalists quite as quickly. But I'm hoping with... Uh, me and Greg and some others pushing a rural training program process that will encourage people to be generalists with perhaps a rural and regional uh, bent to it all. Brilliant. Um, look, I, I don't know. Have we had any questions come in on, on the app that uh, we could field? All right. Well, clearly it is lunchtime. <laughs> we've, had a, we've had a couple of comments, mostly positive, about our presenters. And especially um, Beck Pace from Mackay has said, it's so great to see clinicians actually visualising the time, distance and burden that's placed on our patients uh, and when you can use technology to do exactly the same thing in, in many cases. So well done. Brilliant. I, thank you. Can I thank you for that too? Because what this has led to is us sending, say, plaster techs to Mount Isa in the northwest to train people in simple plaster techniques. Now you think, well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? But have you ever removed a fiberglass plaster? No. But you're the mum of the four-year-old who's driven from an outlying property to Cloncurry and nobody's there to take off that fibreglass cast. What are you going to do? <laughs> well, that might be a better option, but the four-year-old's still got the cast on and you're about sick of the smell. So the answer is we're trying to take learnings to all of these areas as well. Learnings, like Casey mentioned before, learning to be able to press the button with the approval of the regulator. You know, this is taking x-rays. Removing the plaster with appropriate training. So we're trying to be trainers as well as outreachers. 
Yeah, great. That's an important aspect to, to recognise. Uh, look, I, I think we should probably let all these good people get to lunch. John, thank you so much. It's It's been a pleasure having the opportunity to have a conversation today. So thank you for, for joining us and taking time out of your busy day. Thank you for having us. Thanks, everyone. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.